We all know the expression, strike while the iron is hot. Well, we may be in a moment where the world has, without realizing it, given us hot, pliable iron to work with. And we as Christians may only need some prodding to realize the opportunity given us. But I fear if we wait too long, the iron will cool and will no longer be workable. That is, until it is heated again. At the time of Jesus' birth, the world was uniquely set up for Christ to come. Israel, the northern kingdom, had been conquered by Assyria around 700 and something B.C. As I understand, the Assyrians spread their captives throughout their empire, and it appears the ten tribes of the north were mostly lost and spread throughout the Mesopotamian region. Some came back, such as the Samaritans, and who intermarried with the nations, making them, in Judah's eyes, not true Jews. The southern kingdom was taken in 500-something B.C., and then some years later, the Jews were freed to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. It appears some did not return. Jeremiah actually records that they were to prosper in the land that they had been transported to, so some portion built lives for themselves there and did not return. There also seems to be some indications that there were many Jews who left Judah voluntarily in the years leading up to Jesus' birth. Whatever the reasons, there seems to be Jews all over the known world around the time of Jesus' birth. And when you read about the spreading of the gospel and acts in the epistles, it seems to be an important part to Paul's success spreading the gospel. It seems he regularly would start in synagogues when he went to a new location. Jesus lived in a very small circle of the globe, and especially as an adult. But after his resurrection and ascension and sending of the Spirit on Pentecost, the church began to experience tremendous growth. About 3,000 on the first day, and not many days after, another 5,000. Since many of these first converts were visiting Jerusalem for Pentecost, some may have stayed. But a portion probably went back home, possibly like the Ethiopian eunuch. And once Paul is on the scene for Christ, there are churches springing up all over. So much so, he can say the whole world had been taught about Christ. The point is, God prepared the world in such a way that the gospel would spread and be heard all over the known world. As much as I hate to relive COVID, I want to look at one thing the reaction to COVID taught us. Parents can, in fact, teach their children, as well as state schools can, and I believe, much better. Hopefully, you've had the following experience, or one like it. Money is tight and your car needs a brake job. You get some estimates from Jiffy Lube, but it's just too expensive. Suddenly, you have the proper motivation to figure out how to do something that you've always paid someone else to do. So you go see Goober at the local auto parts store and get everything needed. After a full day's work, you successfully complete the job. Then you ask yourself why they charge so much to change brakes. With your newfound knowledge, the value you once placed on this mechanic's service is diminished. Maybe you've experienced this with taxes or cooking, painting, or some other home improvement project. The point is, once you do it, you find out it wasn't nearly as difficult as you built it up to be. Parents had this experience educating their children during covid 
In addition, they learned how inefficiently time is used in state schools. In many cases, the state schools operate as much-needed daycares when single parents or both parents are working. Parents have seen how low quality some educators are. Parents have had their eyes open to the curriculum that is being taught and are realizing they don't want their children to participate. We all looked forward to society getting back to normal, but I am concerned that getting back to normal will cause us or has caused us to forget what we have learned, especially about our public school system. It has been my anecdotal experience that parents were and are unsatisfied with the education and, more importantly, the environment their children are being subjected to. COVID showed these parents they could indeed homeschool their kids. Some moms who thought they did not have what it takes found out they could do it. Some of these parents decided to permanently withdraw their children from state-run schools, and families that were not homeschooling prior to COVID are now homeschool families. I have also heard parents that were all about the homeschool life during COVID have begun to lose their fervor for it, possibly because things have gone back to normal, and it is too much with having to be present at the office. It is my belief these parents wish they did not have to send their kids back to state schools, but they feel trapped and overwhelmed. They feel there is no alternative for them. There are families that are vastly underestimating the impact their child's schoolmates and teachers will have on them, potentially for life. In the city I live, there are a few private schools. I really don't know much about them, so I cannot say if they are better options than state schools. My guess is they are better, judging by the people I know who take advantage of them. However, they can be expensive, which makes them not an option for many families. My goal today is not to convince Christian parents to pull their children out of state schools and choose homeschool or private school, although that is what should be happening. Read Deuteronomy 6. I plan to follow up later with why this is important. I only want to make one argument today. Everyone from parents, grandparents, elders, deacons, pastors, and churches need to reconsider the need for real Christian education options. It seems Christian parents fall into one of the following categories when thinking about their children's education. One, they want to and are homeschooling or private schooling. Two, they wish they could homeschool or private school but are unwilling to make the sacrifices needed or perhaps they are a single parent and there's just no way to make it work. Three, They have not yet realized how important it is to pull their kids out of state-operated schools. The reason I suggest churches need to reconsider is they are, in several cases, uniquely set up to handle such a possibility. Depending on the denomination, you may have already a vast underutilized facility, a full enrollment of kids available, funds available, or the ability to raise funds needed. Churches will typically have Bible classes with children of similar ages meeting together. One of the goals in this is hoping the children will form bonds that will keep them rooted in their faith as they grow into adulthood, to form friendships that will provide strength when they are in the throes of temptation. Church groups have typically taken steps to get these children spending time with one another outside of church services. What is stopping us from taking this one step farther? 
Imagine if the children your kid sits next to in Bible class could also be the children they are sitting with in the classroom. And in the classroom, they are studying Pilgrim's Progress instead of some book by Richard Dawkins. Have you ever seen a dog that was abused as a pup? How often does that dog turn out to be happy, energetic, or a confident dog, like Old Yeller or Lassie? How often does that dog become the kind of dog that is so glad you're home? Dogs will act as their experience has molded them. Consider this. State schools produce a worldly product. The product is worldly children. If I plant a garden and weeds have overrun the garden box, I must pull the weeds out first for my seed to germinate and grow. If I plant the seed amid the dense weeds, my seed cannot overtake the weeds. The weeds will win 100% of the time. Now reverse that imagery. If the plant has become a tree, established and well-rooted, the weeds no longer are a threat to it. Weeds do not choke trees out. I am suggesting we turn the whole system on its head. Imagine three scenarios with me. Scenario A and B will sound familiar. Scenario A. Susie is a Christian girl, and she has a good reputation. She chooses not to go to promiscuous dances, drinking parties, or even the newest Hollywood movie that's filled with debauchery. Her convictions are noticed by her peers, and she's even earned the proud title of Jesus Freak. But she doesn't impact the trajectory of her school or her class. Scenario B. Billy is a Christian young man, but he gives into peer pressure. He ends up going to the dances, parties, and Hollywood movies with the hope of being one of the popular kids. His mistakes do nothing but make him fit the mold, and they certainly don't change the trajectory of his school or his class. Scenario C. Billy has a Christian education. All of his peers are Christians. His teachers are Christians. He sits in school with the same kids that are in his Sunday school Bible class. When Billy gets an invitation from the kids on his public school baseball team to see the newest Hollywood movie, and to make it clear, it's not a movie that Christians should be seeing, he decides to go. When Billy's buddies from school find out, they confront him about his mistake. They say something to the effect of, Billy, why did you see that movie? Don't you know what's in that? In this scenario, Billy is shamed by his peers and feels ashamed for the poor decision he made. I know some of you are rolling your eyes thinking this scenario could not happen, but I submit it is absolutely a possibility. Christian schools can help to create something public schools cannot. Young Christian leaders. The kind that confronts Billy about his movie choice. Christian schools can flip the cards on the world. They can create a peer pressure to do what is right. Remember at church camp when one kid wanted to get baptized and by the end of the night, 20 kids had decided to get baptized? This can only happen in that environment. Remember in Acts 4 when the Christians started selling their homes and land to provide for each other's needs? If you were one of the last houses on the block to sell, you are going to feel pressure to fall in line. And rightly so. Many of us have seen Christian children grow up, and when they hit teen years, they cut loose, they rebel, they give in to peer pressure, whatever you want to call it. This is mainly a function of two things. 
Children are taught to obey the law, not to love the law. Hopefully we will discuss that in a future episode. Two, environment. How long can you swim against the current? How many worldly movies and TV shows does it take before you become calloused at the portrayal of adultery? How many times do you have to see a classmate disrespect authority, dressed immodestly, or talk perversely before it impacts you? Public school is the best option to expose your children to all of the above. The problem we have is kids who stand up for what's right in state schools end up the outcast. Sure, the other kids know that Susie is a Christian and doesn't go to parties, but Susie learns she has little impact by not going to parties and ends up being the silent Christian in the corner. She can ask her classmates why they're going to the parties or movies, but how successful will she be at changing the culture of her school or class? Thankfully, I knew and had Christian classmates like Susie. I can attest she will have little impact. This can be proven by examining the current trajectory of the public school system. There have been Christians going through the public school system since the beginning. It is time to look at the results and reassess. Ultimately, Susie discovers calling out the sin of her classmates has little impact, so she will become silent a Christian in the corner that won't be heard and feels it is meaningless to speak out. I believe she will continue into adulthood, being the Christian her environment has molded her to be. Not that she doesn't want to see things change, but she never had any success changing her peers and found it was best to stay silent. If we continue to raise our children in an environment where they are the minority and they see classmates become more worldly, our children will in turn think this to be the normal course of events. How can we expect a result that leads to bold, outspoken young adults when standing up for what is right has no impact? Why would they become bold? How do they make that leap? Unless they are raised in God-fearing schools and witness God chastising their fellow Christian peers, I submit they will not become bold leaders in the community. Christ said, Blessed are we, when others revile us and persecute us and utter all kinds of evil against us falsely. We must train our children for this. If our boys and girls grow up experiencing standing against sin is appreciated and welcomed by their peers, they will develop the confidence we hope for. So by the time they are well-rooted in faith as young adults, they can, as Christ said, therefore go into the world. They will have no knowledge of being the quiet Christian in the corner and will be backed by the authority of our leader and King, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gen 821 podcast. We want to ask our listeners to please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Your reviews will positively impact the success of our show. We also want the opportunity to connect with you. If you have questions or topics you would like us to discuss, please contact us through our social channels or through email. You can find this information in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again for listening.